Buddhist geeks. Seriously Buddhist, seriously geeky. Episode 104, Enlightenment for the Rest of Us. Shinzen Young wraps up his discussion with us by sharing a two-fold delivery system for enlightenment that incorporates his artificial intelligence system with home retreat practice. He also touches on the possible emergence of a neuroscientific paradigm for classical enlightenment. This is part three of a three-part series. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or a small recurring donation by visiting buddhadharma20.com slash donate. So if you look at the delivery system for enlightenment Mm -hmm. as it has existed, say, in, well, pretty much around the world in general and specifically within Buddhism, there's two delivery systems. One is for the full-time renunciate, Mm -hmm. and the other is for the householder. So the full-time renunciate, you shave your head, you got the orange robe, you got the begging bowl or whatever the equivalent of that is in your culture. And theoretically, you're a full-time meditator slash meditation teacher. Otherwise, why do it? Well, of course, we know, unfortunately, that in Buddhist Asia, in fact, the reasons that people become monks and nuns are usually other than <laughs> to become a full-time meditation right, right. practitioner <laughs> and teacher. It's other things. It's to get an education. It's to get social status. It's to get yeah. food. It's to get somebody to take care of you. It's to, you know, it's because your parents pressured you. It's because of this. It's because of that. Right. But theoretically... The renunciate life, sannyasa, as they call it in the Hindu tradition, or shukke, as they call it in Japan, leaving the home, that is essentially supposed to be, for that individual, a delivery system for enlightenment. Right. But since most people don't take that lifestyle, then there's the other delivery system, the householder's practice. It has two components. You come to a retreat center where you do practices sustained for periods of time, Mm -hmm. days, weeks, months. You have interaction with teachers at that time. Then you go back to your householder's life and do a day-to-day practice of some sort. So it's a rhythm of retreat and self-practice. The retreat's done for extended periods of time in a center. So that's the delivery system for the householder. Now... I think both of these delivery systems are good and are needed. However, it does occur to me, if I think over the whole world, how many people, if they knew about the mindfulness practice, would take it on if there was nothing getting in the way of them doing that whatsoever? I ask myself, how many people are we talking about worldwide? Well, Let's talk about what gets in the way of people doing it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What gets in the way of people doing it is they're not monks and nuns, so they've got to go to the householder's delivery system. Now, there's nothing to stop them from doing day-to-day practice. They can get CDs, they can read books, etc. But how about the retreat practice? Mm -hmm. And how about the input from teachers that comes at the retreats? Right. 
Well, most people don't live close enough to a center to visit for even one day. So there are geographical barriers. They have to travel. Most people have families. Most people have jobs. Leaving your job, traveling, paying for your food and lodging at a retreat venue, etc., etc., all cost money. And it can cost a lot of money. No kidding. <laughs> In North America, it can cost a lot of money, and money is right now getting tighter and tighter. Well, money gets tight, money gets loose. That comes and goes as the decades and centuries mm-hmm. unfold. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, there's significant financial barriers. There are definitely social barriers in that your family doesn't want you to leave. Right. They don't want you to leave for even one day. There are professional barriers. How much time you're going to take off work sure. to do these intensive retreats. You have to have a pretty special job to be able to do this. There can be health barriers. A lot of sick people in the world can use this practice, need this practice, are in a position to use this practice because they're housebound or they're encumbered in some way. But that means they can't get to the retreats. And there's a huge population of people that could benefit from this practice, but they're, they can't get around so easily. Right. In fact, it's a very natural, a very natural cohort to reach, mm-hmm. very natural population. So I ask myself, how many people worldwide, if they knew about this practice, And none of these issues, the travel issue, the money issue, the time off work issue, the time away from family issue, the health issue, and let's take another issue, philosophical issue. Right. Well, does this agree with my religion, et cetera, et cetera? Well, I already told you I've got a neutral secular vocabulary. Yeah. So if the philosophical, cultural, religious issues are now non-issues, if all of the above are not issues, how many people worldwide would do this practice if they knew about it? Mm -hmm. Well, a hell of a lot more than are doing this practice. Yeah, a lot more. Order of magnitude, two orders of magnitude, three orders of magnitude more, I would guess. So... How about enlightenment for the rest of us? Now, of course, the optimal delivery system is the one I just described, where you have the teacher in your home who develops through artificial intelligence with a back-end memory a relationship with you. That I'll be able to give people within a couple years. Mm -hmm. But how about right now? Well, once again, let's talk about science. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's talk about math, actually, my favorite topic. Cool. In mathematics, one is often interested in what might be called the limiting case of something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Once again, those of your listeners who are somewhat mathematically inclined will immediately appreciate what this means. They know who they are. <laughs> uh, the, um, the limiting case. How small can something be and still be A? <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. So... The householder's delivery system is a rhythm of day-to-day practice and periodic intensive retreat. 
how small can something be and still be a retreat? How small can day-to-day practice be and still count? What's the limiting case where it'll still work? Given that most people don't have a lot of time and can't really leave family job where they live, et cetera, et cetera. So it occurred to me that the limiting case for day-to-day practice, if you did it every single day, 10 minutes, but 10 solid minutes. Mm-hmm. That's the limiting case. Of course, we'd like you to do an hour, two hours, you know. But if you did real formal practice for 10 minutes each day, uh, and it was quality, and I have a way of assuring quality, mm-hmm. uh, which I several ways, actually. So assuming that that claim is true, that there's a way of assuring that it will be quality, if they can do 10 minutes each day, okay, that, that I think, summed over months, years, and let's be honest, decades, you know, that would be, okay, a, a limiting case of your daily self-practice. What's the limiting case of a retreat? Mm-hmm. Well, I would say that you would have to do four hours of unbroken practice with the potential of for input with a teacher and some group interaction and social bonding and group discussion. But that can be delivered by telephone with a conference call. Mm-hmm. So I got this idea. Let's offer people every month five conference call retreats on the second weekend of every single month. They can go to a website and they can choose one of the five depending on what their interest is. Mm-hmm. They're all independent. And we send them uh, the relevant uh, readings to prepare and they get a conference call number and an access code. They call in, and I figured out a schedule where I could have all the elements that are present in an on-site retreat, including, if need be, the possibility of one-on-one interview with a teacher. Mm -hmm. I figured out a way that that could all be packed into four hours. And I call it the home practice program. And that's what's on basicmindfulness.org, right? That's up and running, has been for a couple years, and it works like a charm. This is your bridge to get to the audience. Well, the idea is that they do both, Mm. that they would have the home practice program for the social dimension of the thing. Mm. But for the raw skill set, they would have virtual Shinzen. Gotcha. Or virtual whoever, because the content could be anybody's voice. If you don't like my voice, it could be some well-spoken British lady that you prefer to be your teacher. <laughs> right, right. You could have, uh, it could be any um, avatar you want uh, once we create the software. And it could be in any language. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I've got two delivery systems. One that involves a bonding and a networking among neighborhoods because people come in to listen together and among communities worldwide, and that's the home practice program. And that delivers the retreats and gives a chance for people to talk live with other practitioners and with uh, teachers. 
And then I've got the automated system that supports people and can give them those hours and hours of quality personal time because it has a back-end database. It remembers every single thing you did mm. in every practice session. It has an artificial intelligence in it that develops a relationship with you over the years, mm -hmm. comes to know you. Very, it's very high-end AI. Comes to know you, it addresses you by name, it alludes to your former successes and challenges and issues, mm. and interactively coaches you in working. So now I've got a twofold delivery system, one that's based on real-time social interactions, and one that's automated. So that's the home practice program, and that's up and running, mm -hmm. totally up and running, and has been proven to work. I know when I talk about telephone at home, people think, telephone at home? Retreat at home? I have to go away to a center. You know, there are these concepts of, well, that, that doesn't compute. But when people actually do it, it's sort of like one of these, duh, mm -hmm. of course, it's right. so natural. Uh, why didn't somebody think of this before kind of thing? Mm -hmm. um, so that's up and running. The automated instruction and support will be up and running in a, hopefully a year or two. So now I've got this integrated formulation in modern language. I've got this comprehensive but unified suite of tools that I call the five ways. Mm -hmm. And now I've got two modern delivery systems. Right. Comp I mean, I still do the older householder practice delivery. I still run residential retreats. Mm -hmm. You know, all over the country, people come and spend a week. So I, I do the residential, but I've, this other thing is also cool because the home practice program, anyone in the world can get started anytime. Right, right. Um, and the expenses are minimal to zero. I mean, if you, if you really don't have any money, then we won't charge you for it at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, nothing. And you don't have to pay travel. You don't have to pay, you know, for lodging. Um, you know, most people can afford the, the whopping 20 bucks. Okay, <laughs> but for those that can't, or maybe you're in Africa or whatever, that's a lot of money. So whatever, you know, mm. down to nothing. So I've got these two delivery systems. I've got a completely modern secular formulation, and I have this very flexible but also very unified suite of tools that I call the five ways. This is all described at basicmindfulness.org. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of how technology has informed my way of uh, presenting things. And so this is, I'm pretty satisfied with this, but yeah. there's one more tier that would be the crowning glory of all of this, but I doubt that it will be achieved in my lifetime. See, my first tier was to develop a fully modern and secular vocabulary for the classical path to enlightenment. Mm -hmm. My second challenge was to de develop a unified but highly flexible and therefore algorithmic technique, focused techniques. Mm -hmm. set. My third challenge was to develop innovative delivery systems that could reach anyone in the world. Mm -hmm. 
But the final challenge is a quantum leap. Mm. Uh, it's an order of mag. It's seven orders of magnitude beyond what I'm now describing, and therefore, it's a program not not in the sense of a computer program, but in the sense of a program of scientific investigation that will probably take a few generations of scientists to complete. But I'm at the beginning of that program. Mm-hmm. And some people listening to this broadcast will probably play a significant role in the next step in that program. And that program is to find a neuroscientific paradigm for classical enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that means bringing uh, neuroscience and enlightenment together. Right. As you know, you're in Colorado where the Mind and Life Institute is. Adam Engel and his people out there, they have just done this incredible job of bringing this notion that this could happen, you know, and, and get it creating sizzle all over the world based somewhat on the charisma of the Dalai Lama, but also based on just the the appeal of the notion. Yeah. In other words, what the mind and life people do is they've got the Twin Peaks model that I do. Mm-hmm. They came upon it on their own. Right. I hit upon it, you know, 35 years ago. They see things exactly that way, and they're, and they're making it happen. Nice. So what I see happening is that at some time, I should say, jumping a little bit here, but there's something called the Summer Research Institute that Mind and Life does. They bring together 120 young neuroscientists and foster their meditation practice, largely around the mindfulness tradition, mm-hmm. which is the most proto-scientific and also actually the, the original one that the Buddha himself taught historically. So uh, do the math. If we're fostering hundreds of meditating neuroscientists, Mm -hmm. there's a high probability that a a number of those will have not just deep meditation experiences, but will come to classical enlightenment. Mm -hmm. And then they will ask themselves what I believe to be, well, the biggest question of all time as far as I'm able to see all time, okay, which Mm -hmm. is pretty limited, okay. Certainly the biggest, the biggest question of our time, hmm. bar none, is when I moved from limited identity to unlimited identity, something dramatic, stunning happened to my experience of self and world. Mm-hmm. Therefore, something must have happened at a neuroanatomical level somewhere right associated with this change sure for me personally the question of all time <laughs> taking all time to being time so far mm-hmm. is what happened people are starting to ask this question jim austin someone i know wrote the book Zen and the Brain. Yeah. So he, he's a neurosurgeon. Went to Japan, did traditional Zen practice, had classical enlightenment, and asked himself, 
based on what I know of functional neuroanatomy, what happened? The final tier on my agenda for rapid, <laughs> radical, <laughs> global improvement of the human condition, mm-hmm. <laughs> if I wanted to speak grandiosely, right. <laughs> my, my vision of the coming of the Messiah is not the coming of a person which is a mythological vision of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine is a more rational vision of the Messiah. It's the rapid spread of classical enlightenment to a significant proportion of the human population. That would bring about radical, global improvement in the um, human condition uh, in general, and bring, a, bring it about fairly rapidly, I would assume. So, in any event, if we have a scientific paradigm for classical enlightenment, Mm -hmm. then we can start to talk about, and this is where everybody gets really weirded out, because they immediately think of a million objections, and they insult my intelligence by assuming I haven't thought of every single one of those over and over and over and over again. <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. But anyway, be that as it may, if there's a scientific model for how enlightenment works, that becomes a basis for innovative technologies right. that can make it available to large numbers of people fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I say this, I know the explosions that are going on in people's <laughs> minds about, well, what about this, and what about that, and what about that, and what about that? And I would very patiently, if we had about two hours, very happily <laughs> go into each one of those whatabouts, <laughs> because I have certainly heard them, thought about them for years and years and years, and I think that there's, there are useful um, and true things that can be said about all of those whatabouts. Mm-hmm. So that's the final tier, mm-hmm. and I can participate in that I, by talking about it. I can participate in that by training uh, among my students, trying to include people that will be the scientists of the future. Mm-hmm. But of course, not no, no way limiting it. But I, let's be honest. I I present an approach, a language that would tend to attract people sure. that have a, a math, well, not a math, but maybe that sort of have this geek way of looking at things. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, other people can relate to it, too. So I can talk about this vision. I can conjecture wildly mm-hmm. about how it might come about, but mm-hmm. that's just wild conjecture. Mostly I can foster enlightened consciousness in people, some of whom in the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years will be uh, researchers, the way imaging is evolving now Mm -hmm. and the way the neurosciences are evolving and the way computational biology is evolving, Mm -hmm. an enlightened neuroscientist 20 years from now, a team of enlightened neuroscientists 20 years from now, with fairly moderate funding, if they were out-of-the-box thinkers, could probably crack this nut. Hmm. 
and uh, they would be the first people in the history of the world to get both the Nobel Prize for Physiology or Medicine and the Nobel Peace Prize for exactly the same achievement. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.